So, hi, sir. Uh, how are you doing today? Very well, very well. <laughs> nice seeing you. Are, are we, we have only been interacting on text, and it's yeah. great to see you in front of me right now. <laughs> Same here, sir. So, uh, welcome to Lapeels Cancer and Zenonco.io. I am Arohi from Zenonco.io, and this is our Cancer Healing Journey Talk, where we invite speakers who have gone through cancer, maybe as patients or as caregivers or as survivors. These CHAs are very close to our heart um, because many patients have told us that uh, after watching these CHAs, um, they feel inspired and they, uh, it helps boost their confidence because they feel that if others have beaten cancer, so can they. So um, with this, I thank you very much for joining today's CHA talk. And uh, I'd like uh, you to begin by a brief introduction about yourself. And uh, then you can tell us what were the initial symptoms of uh, the disease that you felt um, because of which you went to the doctor. Sure. Arohi, first thing first, thank you very much. And uh, a special thanks to your founder, Dimple, because uh, to be on honest on that, uh, and I must confess that uh, I had left behind all this in September when I lost her. But sure enough, uh, with dimples, uh, whatever came up last four or five days, while I was holidaying abroad, as you know, <clears throat> it was something which was uh, very, very inspiring. And uh, then I heard her presentation uh, at uh, Baroda, uh, which she presented uh, to the students of uh, MS University, I think, uh, with her mentor. And uh, there she covered an hour of her journey from a time that she left her village 12 years. And you'll be surprised that hit me so hard that I straight away consented to your colleague, Akansha, that I'm a part of this. Having said that, uh, to introduce, I am a retired Air Force uh, pilot and uh, been into operations through and through, which means uh, military operations. And uh, Lisa said better about me because, um, you know, here we are more into the bigger factors of the person that uh, we were uh, trying to revive. That's my partner. Neelam was her name. Uh, now, by grace of God, it was such that uh, we were poles apart, poles apart. Uh, I was an extrovert. She was a very introvert. I was into activity pretty much uh, outward in nature, a sportsman. And, uh, you know, military life, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. it's by itself was very challenging. I'm sure. Yeah. And she was a housewife and uh, mother to three of my children. Uh, very God-fearing, very orthodox, and uh, from a very humble background. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best part that I got connected when we met in 1986, is that her simplicity. You know, in those days, uh, the generation was such that uh, most of the ladies and girls were not really working. They mm -hmm. were more into studies and then looking for a partner, more than them, their parents. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had a humble background from Rajasthan. I, of course, from Eastern belt of the country, from Bengal. Mm -hmm. between Bengal and Bihar. I was, uh, you know, I had grown up there. And straight away, as a 10-year-old, I was into a boarding school and a military school. 
then into National Defense Academy, and then into mm -hmm. the Air Force. So my path was absolutely in khakis, as they say, and always very you go forward. Whereas she had never stepped out of her house. And, uh, you know, though she was born and brought up in Delhi, mm -hmm. but had nothing of a delight in her blood. It was a pure village girl and uh, extremely, extremely kind. Uh, her parents do tell me uh, whenever uh, they were alive, I mean, uh, her mother was alive, that she would pick up ants and feed them ants as late as when she was 20 years old. <laughs> should slightly define you how Neelam was. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if she was God-fearing and um, kind of orthodox, uh, therefore, the house you know, totally uh, vibrated all the time with God's chants and things like that. That's how my children had grown up and they have seen all that. Uh, so that uh, would probably define uh, in short, because you see, uh, if she uh, and me were together for 35 years, mm -hmm. for me to uh, just so much uh, into introducing her would be a little, little, little not uh, correct. Since, yeah, um, you know, it's a very, very vast uh, segment of uh, characteristics, personality traits, and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas uh, here, we are talking in gist because we have bigger things to talk. Yeah. And therefore, that would, what would define me and my uh, partner, Neelam. Okay. Uh, I have three children, as I said, the eldest, of course, uh, an eldest daughter is always the best. Not really, but the fact remained that uh, she was very dear to us. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, during, when we got together, I was in operations. So I was in the, uh, in the uh, border areas. That's the time when I got together with Neelam. That is, our marriage was one day affair. And uh, subsequently, when uh, Deepti was my eldest daughter, who is presently, as I said, is a doctor. She, she was a dental surgeon, but left uh, that and uh, wanted to be an economist. So went to mm -hmm. London School of Economics, did her economics and public health, and mm -hmm. joined the WHO. Today, she is in WHO at Geneva. A subsidiary, which is Gavi, which looks after public health of all... Uh, various uh, organizations and the countries yes yes now the younger daughter uh, she was an economist but mm -hmm. she has now moved over from economics to uh, designing she did a design from neft right. while all this was happening over three years she decided to uh, stay put in delhi and uh, start her own startup last year right. so she's into a brand designing luxury brand designing and she just started commercial venture last month so that's my second daughter. And the third fella is a son, again, having come coming to us after a long time gap between uh, the daughters and the son. He uh, is preparing to go for his master's to London. Mm -hmm. Aston University. So this is as far as my family is concerned. Neelam's father is alive. She, he's 93 years old mm -hmm. and a very hard working man. Uh, mother passed away after which she got diagnosed. Okay. So that was one. And my eldest daughter has a grandchild whose reference or rather relevance in context will come to you mm -hmm. when we proceed through the talk. So this mm -hmm. is mine. Right. Really, uh, really uh, good to hear all this stuff. 
Um, so um, I'd uh, like to begin by asking you, what were the initial symptoms uh, that you saw in ma'am? And uh, what, what is it that, uh, that you felt that uh, something is wrong and we should go to the doctor to get some tests done, uh, get diagnosed? So what were those initial symptoms that you saw? See, we got cheated. Uh, why I say that? Yeah. As I told you, after having retired, or rather I missed that, after having retired from the Air Force, yeah. I got into commercial flying. I'm a commercial mm -hmm. pilot. I was three years back. Yeah. And uh, that obviously demanded me going around the countryside. And uh, I then got into international commercial flying yeah. based at Middle East. So then I was doing that. However, as a commercial pilot, indeed you do that for the Air Force also, but as a commercial pilot, and the qualification that I held, every six months, I had to do my medicals. So obviously, I and Neelam decided that, or rather I decided, as I said, um, I was an extrovert. She was an introvert. She was her uh, eyes, nose, ears, mouth, everything was me. So I uh, decided with her in consultation that every time I do my medical checkup, six monthly, you do yours. Right. And that's how it was. Mm -hmm. Why I say that to you, Aroi, should tell you or to your viewers or to your listeners that it doesn't, it can still hit you. Right, right. And you can still be cheated. Right. So, uh, having said that, probably we missed that six months earlier. Right. And when I say cheated, uh, I'm talking about 2017, 2017. Right. <laughs> Around July, August, uh, you know, uh, again, as I said, she was very orthodox. I was mm -hmm. busy uh, internationally doing my flying, earning money, trying to, you know, get my dreams and her dreams in place, which means right. good house, good car, good uh, education for my children, yeah. all that. So that is the time. Uh, you know, she was prone to uh, having, uh, I don't know if that term is celiac uh, plexus. Primarily, your navel, right. your navel moves mm -hmm. up and down. Okay. It's more, uh, more uh, acceptable by the Ayurveda. Right. The allopaths uh, have all this term celiac plexus, like solar plexus or celiac plexus. Mm -hmm. They do find that it moves up and down with loads and things like that when you carry heavy load and all that. Right. But... <clears throat> It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, you know, like allopathy goes too much into all that uh, anatomy and physiology and yeah. maybe yeah. maybe they don't have any cure for that and all that. However, Ayurveda uh, and our Indian ancient uh, medicine, Siddha, Ayurveda, they are thick into it. Okay. And uh, 2017, or before also, but 2017 especially, around July, August, she had this. Right. So, just uh, called Dharan in a language, Dharan. Yeah, yeah. So, whatever. Now, as I said, I was too uh, busy with myself and uh, extremely scientific in thought, me having been a science through and through and she being an art through and through. But she uh, did manage to get it out of her way. Uh, because uh, she went, I mean, as I said, that she being from Rajasthan, Jaipur is her base right now, or rather was when she was here. She still has a house there. 
तो जयपुर में देवर इनफ वैद वैद जी जो होते हैं weeks. Uh, you would know from offshore pilots that that is what is the general kind of offshore routine when you fly for oil and gas so i come back for 5 6 weeks and uh, i was very very impressed so i said this is too much man i couldn't believe that you will get out of this like this so that's where was the seed which i think i i sowed anyway 17 went fine 18 2018 now in between uh, her mother Who was mm-hmm. around eighty four, eighty five years? She got bedridden in Jaipur. Right. Now, why I come to all this is going to be the final uh, conclusion as to the uh, reasons, which and established reasons, or the three four reasons for which a person gets into this cancerous uh, disease. Right. There are established three four reasons, and all this will come there. Anyway. having said that uh, she got bedridden so i could see that pain in neelam's face being uh, one of those uh, daughters of her and very affectionate so therefore uh, around february i was flying in india at the at port blair so then that's the time uh, i found i called her out you know we were allowed to get our wives and partners and things like that to be with us for some time so i called her out uh, after my work at port blair to stay with me 10 days and have a little change of life so there i found a little sickness in terms of a mind right where uh, she was all the time thinking about her mother and mm-hmm. uh, you know those kind of things so then at the end of it in march i decided i told her that i'm also out of flying now after this so why don't you uh, move to jaipur and get on with her and see her through right so though she had a mixed feeling because you know as i told you she was a hardcore mother for the children two of her children were still here the son and the younger daughter yeah. and uh, though younger daughter was not staying with us but in and out but the son was there but with a very heavy heart she left for jet around march of 2018 right and uh, then the thing started wherein with a bit of maybe pain bit of uh, diet issues uh, mental stress right. all these are indicators of that mm-hmm. and uh, a little pain a little uh, issues of uh, quality of life right. little issues of uh, no exercise except lifting the mother up from the bed mm-hmm. taking her to the washroom coming back so again the load and all that physical activity no time for food all that carried on and then the mother passed away on 31st of may right so those four five months mm-hmm. in between in around uh, april may my eldest daughter ping to us saying that well she is on the mother way and we would get our first grandchild that's why i told you it will come in context right right so uh, after finishing all the you know 
Niyam Kanun of our uh, post-death uh, activities. She came back to me in June, 15, 16 June, about 15 days after my uh, mother-in-law passed away. And then when she came, that's the time she complained about tummy ache. Right. But it was associated with same dharan pargya. Right, right. Same navel movement. Right. Now that had a precedence in my head that, mm -hmm. you know, last year it happened and she got it correct and everything was excellent. So maybe that. So she says, Abhi to ayum, but then, you know, how do I uh, attend, tell that Ayurveda fella that mm -hmm. uh, I'm coming to get this, the, the, you know, that uh, select plexus organized, the navel organized. So I said, don't worry, maybe in July you go. So in July she went there, but as God could uh, be a little unkinder, that person fell sick himself and he was not in a position to rectify that. Right. When she came back in July, she could not get that rectified, but with a connotation or absolute conviction that, you know, because Neville could not be put back in place, right. that the pain is continuing. Right. And I could see a loss of her physical uh, health, right. a loss of her um, appetite. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know, loss of physical is that from March that I have been in Jaipur, I may not have had a single meal proper in a day. Right. I was so occupied with uh, my mother. Right. It made sense to me. So I said, oh, you'll be TK, maybe. You know, all this comes with, uh, you know how it is. Sure enough, she continued this state till about August. And then uh, probably there was a little SOS from my daughter saying, mommy, mm -hmm. papa, when are you coming? I mean, uh, you know, I need you on my last uh, month or so. Right. Obviously, uh, Neelam couldn't, uh, you know, accept that she being here. And as I told you, very, very motherly and very much. I mean, the world can be one side and her children can be on the side. So she uh, said, sure, I'm uh, traveling. I, what all you want, and, you know, nap, a whole lot of children's stuff and all that. So from August, September, she got busy and uh, extremely busy shopping for her, uh, you know, the, the new, new incoming into the family and the first grandchild. And she even mm -hmm. forgot me for so many times. And then she carried on. I was also busy. I was trying to, you know, cope up with my flying because after that, it would be a long leave. I would be taking some sabbatical kind of from flying. And, you know, our kind of a profession, uh, it's a very competitive profession. So I said, Abhi karlo jitna kar sakte baad baki we don't know. So in that hurry-burry, I couldn't keep a check. She did not keep a check herself. And as I told you, a typical of a uh, serviceman, that is, you know, when you live through a military life, uh, you may find the military wives uh, extremely vocal and things like that. But they are highly dependent on their husbands. Highly dependent. Because, you know, for everything, they must take the lead, whether it's medical or other works. So one of them that she was, especially the ones who are housewives. Right, right. So uh, she said, no problem. And then she got very busy. And then she left by mid of October, she left for London. That's where my daughter was at that point of time. In 2018, right. uh, she was working ex-London. Right. Come there because her in-laws are from London. So she reached there. 
Deepti is my eldest daughter. She uh, pinged to me again that Papa, something is wrong with Mummy. She is, I mean, she is not even. I mean, she is half, but with a swollen tummy, and she is eating nothing. One week, ten days have passed. Now the due was supposed to be around mid of November, so the doctor sounded to her that likely the grandchild will be in by about third, fourth of November. And my plan to go there was a week before, so around seventh, eighth of November. And sure enough, uh, Neelam would say that everything is excellent. It's just that that euphoric feeling, and you know that gump of um, you know, kya hoga, how will it be, and all that, and all that, is what is keeping me so occupied. And that's why I'm not feeling uh, like to. And then you know that excuse is always the uh, jet lag and um, 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 Indian food yeah. and. सेंस so then um, i reached on 7th of november there the child was born on 4th and uh, obviously i saw the child but she came to receive me at hitro and uh, with uh, deepthi's mother in law and i couldn't recognize her so i was furious i said what is this now she says ghar to chalo i tell so we went home and then uh, she briefed me that uh, from the time she has left around 20th of october she has not had any food to eat she didn't she couldn't eat right. it was no appetite so once a while some you know fluid and all that's all and i'm talking about 7th 8th of november so 20 days there was nothing and she says uh, i don't know 3rd 4th november that when the child was not born i could continue take the uh, this thing uh, pain and all but moment that after that the pain has increased uh, marvelously and uh, i'm extremely um, in pain mm-hmm. and moment i eat something i feel vomitish mm-hmm. now that again was a big thing for me and you know quite unlike our context medical context in india there the medical context is very different i mean uh, you know saturday sunday is a religious day where uh, people don't work medical faculties don't work there is emergencies are exorbitant cost and things like that and like we have a multifaceted multifaceted uh, you know hospitals all the specialties could be in one multi speciality uh, chain there that is uh, very limited you would have um, uh, 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 gynecology somewhere physiology i mean general medicine or internal medicine somewhere something somewhere so you have to keep and all distances are uh, 40 minutes and when i say that i mean at 100 kilometers per hour speed uh, 40 minutes right. so those time so it was a difficult thing but all the same and she had a history of uti as well okay so i said she said yeah uti hoga usi ke liye dard ho raha hai so then we finally on around 13th 14th of uh, november i said now everything is finished and mm-hmm. uh, we made and any guys as you know mother wahan gayi hai gond ka laddu banana hai dipti ke liye ye karna hai wo pata nahi kya kya laddu hai banani hai yahan se le gayi the ingredients she had asked me to take and i carried all that 
so either up you couldn't she couldn't stand a moment she couldn't stand for 5 minutes at a stretch but she wants to make that gonta laddu which takes about an hour too right so around 15th uh, 14 15th i couldn't take it anymore a week after i reached uh, i uh, went into a doctor dipti's batchmate was there practicing in uh, one of those places he was a urologist because he first got into a urologist to check on the uti and uh, liver function and all so he did liver functional test and he said no liver is performing uh, uti doesn't seem to be in the spe- in the samples uh, but there needs to be some checkup after all uh, there is a need to go in deeper and i would suggest to go get back to india since uh, here you will complicate the matter first of all the finances and yeah. you know various things so that was quite a decision because um, you know she had gone there to stay there for 6 months jaisa hota hai to see the child grow up the her daughter that is deepthi to grow up and get out of this uh, you know post 3 months wala period yeah. Yeah. and all that and all that and now she got extremely extremely again stressed mai kaise ja sakti hu is samay but then for the first time uh, i saw that in her face wherein she accepted coming back to india uh, premature that is within a week's time then right emotions so that itself actually uh, made some kind of a dent in me that mm-hmm. if and we know what those emotions mm-hmm. pain must be excruciating mm-hmm. there must be a major issue mm-hmm. anyway on 19th of november uh, despite uh, a lot of uh, you know emotional outbursts i managed to uh, fly her back because uh, i consulted myself uh, in the sense my friends uh, who are in the medical profession and my little brother my first cousin is a medical profession is a endocrinologist so he said that you know uh, liver may not be the issue but then there could be there is something in a gynecological parts which is troubling us so much right 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 and my point was that if i delay any more and uh, then what happens if she cannot travel in the air back to india and that was my concern so finally mm-hmm. at the end of it on 20th november i flew back to india i would avoid uh, giving the hospitals and the doctors name yeah. reason is simple i don't want uh, you know people to get uh, influenced Yeah, by yeah. single patient uh, you know exposure or a caregiver's exposure but all the same i got i can name the chain and the chain is max in delhi right, right. So i uh, straight away from the airport however the journey was extremely well done and she had no pain during the journey even for the first time she ate some solid food over last 20 uh, days in the flight and she also smiled and laughed at me saying that yeah itna jaldi jaldi mein ja rahe hain and then you know you will get stuck they would say nothing has happened or a little bit of infection here and there and i would have to turn back to london i said don't worry that will be the best news yeah from the airport we called up the younger girl she came picked our luggage and got to the home i from there direct uh, we landed around 5 o'clock and directly went to uh, max what her in the emergency admitted uh, there again coming back how things happen you know when the 
when things uh, you know turn out not in your favor then you know you have a uh, various ups and downs which are pretty much um, not very natural right. whenever we had been to emergency prior to that once a while every time the doctor in emergency would check her up and uh, you know while he was checking all that would vanish and the doctor would give us a mouthful to her and to me then why do you waste our time and she would be driven back and we would come home and on the drive back we would have a good laugh and say yaar what the hell so jo bhi hai so she when she reached the uh, emergency um, uh, arena and she was under check she felt that you know pain when has subsided and all that and all that so she told me again this time they will drive me out so, and they will this time to they know us because every six months somehow somehow we have been landing up so uh, that hospital we have been landing up uh, that's our patent hospital so i said yeah don't worry just uh, go cool so what if there's no pain what we go home and we get pain so let's not go by this let's take a thing so they went back and uh, by about 11:30 night any case they took the blood and everything but blood reports took time so 11:30 they uh, strolled her in for uh, ultrasound right and the first diagnosis was done in the ultrasound however as you know in late nights the doctors or the radiologists or anybody for that matter and they are pretty junior and they are sometimes interns as well mm-hmm. and specialists are not available they are available on call yeah yeah so he was very uh, hesitant to tell me why i say that is that you know that's how things happen and he said that sir i'll need to check it with my seniors but what i see is not very uh, conducive so then i coaxed him and he told me that uh, there's a lot of fogging i can't penetrate through that but what i can see that tumor is inside and uh, it's generally in the uh, in the o- o- ovarian area and uh, uh, the ovary has definitely the surface has been uh, glutted with uh, tumors but beyond that because uh, there is so much of fluid that i am unable to uh, penetrate right right uh, limitations of ultrasound Right. then he uh, wrote in for a gynecological check and there are some procedures which means that uh, you know they have this ultrasound done through a vaginal uh, path so that they can see it better and also uh, there was a little proposal of a ct scan immediately which could give a little more detailed stuff the vaginal uh, scan was uh, uh, that is intrauterine was uh, said to be no by the gynecologist because uh, the gynecologist felt that uh, it will be unnecessarily uh, trauma on her better would be that we get a ct scan and should then it not be uh, seen or identified then we go so within them they decided and by 12:30 the ct scan was done late night and it was confirmed not only confirmed by then the blood reports had come and as you know ca125 the uh, the main uh, fella responsible antigen for uh, ovarian cancer uh, indicates you know, 35 40 is your limit and it was indicating 1700 so then uh, and everything fell in place and the doctor uh, emergency doctor announced it to me that it's a cancer uh, source is not known primary source it is some genital organ the secondary source is also not known so you need to come tomorrow to the oncology department and uh, fetch up on the oncologist now 
if you ask me what was the reaction mm-hmm. my wife neelam was still not convinced she says ye log aise hi bolte hain yaar bakwas karte hain they i mean you know how it is that yeah. denial is always there yeah of course but uh, by then while i was waiting for all this i was going through the kind of uh, symptoms so called symptoms that uh, ovarian cancer presents and it fell in place too all of them and like i explained to you when i told you the sequence it will fall in place to you also or to anybody who has uh, studied ovarian cancer or is going through right the diagnosis was made next day we were with the oncologist and that's where when you asked me what was the reaction a reaction was plain simple for a hard core uh, mother and a non believer of uh, actualities in life a very religious person a very simple heart she said ye abhi bhi bakwas kar and for somebody like me who immediately uh, because you know these days information is available in abundance i tapped those information got the uh, got my friends speaking to me flashed it to through the night flashed it to fortunately london and we were about five and a half hours deepthi was before me flashed it to her she confirmed she analyzed i analyzed so i and deepthi were already in on the same page and next day of course with the medical onco we faced her though uh, i didn't take her you know the thing was that uh, she probably uh, couldn't have taken that first shock yeah and she always thought that let this man be in front and let me be behind let him take the shock so i met the medical onco though she was in the waiting room and the uh, onco i remember again no names excellent excellent oncologist medical oncologist she said that where is uh, neelam i said she doesn't want to face you she wants me to face you and then take it forward that's how the diagnosis was so um what all uh, treatments uh, did ma'am undergo okay now arvi it was like this that uh, uh as you know like straight away within a day to of little more of um, you know uh, investigations which would mean biopsy which would mean those things uh, you know histopathology so those things were immediately ordered for uh, i was very lucky to meet a surgeon onco surgeon on the panel in the same hospital who happened to also be from the ex air force he was an ex air force uh, and in one of the best and the best research hospitals of india the research and referral in new delhi so he was heading the oncology there so the head of department yeah. and then after as a post uh, retirement uh, you know as a commercial venture he joined this chain and he was available there right there so we had a community and uh, when we shared and when he saw my rank as i said i was a group captain retired he was also a group captain retired so then uh, he obviously fell for it his name has had traveled a lot in the oncology uh, kind of though he had spent just 3 4 years only in the civil uh, sector but he has a he had a very brilliant uh, past uh, a educationist by uh, kind of uh, other than surgeon educationist so he advised me that uh, uh, let the biopsy be there i would personally check the biopsy since that was also his um, you know 
uh, gynecological uh, uh, oncology was his specialization. <laughs> and he had taught in organizations like Armed Forces Medical College, mm-hmm. or India Institute of Medical Sciences. Okay. So he had taught there as a professor. Mm-hmm. So notwithstanding his uh, hand abilities, but his knowledge yeah. and, uh, you know, obviously anatomy and uh, physiology and all were so much, uh, you know, absolutely there. So he said, I'll personally see uh, where, how, how we can approach it. So the medical oncology oncologist was also on board. It was a lady uh, oncologist. So then uh, both these people in the best prudence and after discussing, seeing the biopsy, he decided that we should go for new adjuvant. So new adjuvant would mean, the general term means that, uh, you know, there's too much of fogging for the surgeon to straight away go for surgery. So what he does is he uses uh, three cycles of chemo, conventional chemo, to reduce the tumor load. Right. So the fogging goes, and then he can uh, cut open and uh, do cytoreduction or whatever, whatever is the best for him. But that was the decision we took. So our first decision was that we will do three chemos, which started immediately in December, 5th December, I started my uh, first chemo within about six, seven days of arriving at uh, the hospital. So we ensured that everything ran like, uh, you know, I mean, in jet speed. And fifth was our first chemo given with a cycle of 21 days uh, cycle. Standard conventional, uh, you know, carboplating and uh, paclitaxel, the platinum drug and paclitaxel. That is the standard first cycle drug world over. That was given. That was given for three cycles. And uh, then... uh, was the surgery plan. So before, and you'll be surprised that the CA drop, the antigen drop with the first cycle, first session itself was from 1700 straight to 40. So that was so encouraging and everything and everything. So obviously we were very delighted that in the first session itself, to second it went down further and third, before going in for surgery, she was at 24, 25. So the surgeon was uh, totally convinced. And on 9th of February, he went in for cytoreduction. He said, no point. In any case, uh, she was uh, running 56 years old. So, and we had finished everything in life in terms of mothering and all that. So there was no requirement. So I said, sir, you just go in and see what best you can and then just carry on. Eliminate any part which you think, because you see, to be honest with you, we all knew, and it was uh, uh, diagnosed as 3C, stage 3C. Right. Um, the differences in ABCD, it's too intricate, so we'll not really get into that. But the last stage of last grade of th- uh, third stage. Right. Now, he uh, did uh, removal of all that, uh, which includes uterus, ovary, fallopian tubes, some uh, pelvic glands, some uh, glands have to be taken off, uh, some flap, uh, vaginal flap, and those kind of, of things had to be done. He, he did. And the best thing was that not a drop of blood was needed. When I talk about blood, let me also tell you, it helps your listeners show that our blood were opposite dresses. That means she was O negative and I was O positive. So that itself spreads a bit of, uh, you know, uh, sensibilities wherein to get a O negative blood 
is a very rare blood. Not today's yeah. time, but by and large, it is yeah. difficult to get a negative yeah. blood. <clears throat> so there was not a drop of blood needed. The surgery was absolutely as per plan, except that the time needed for the surgery got extended by two, three hours. Reason being that he said, I found so many things uh, around the lower portion of the pelvic. I said, if I leave them, especially in the lymph glands, uh, lymph nodes, sorry, the lymph nodes. He said, if I leave those in the lymph nodes, then uh, it is likely to spread from the lymph, again, through the lymphatic fluid into the organs. So he eliminated one or uh, lymphatic, uh, whatever you could see in the lymph nodes, he uh, got that. Then he uh, was very, very smart to take off the appendix also. Though appendix was not infected, but he, on his prudence, he did that, which you'll be surprised uh, is a major thing because finally that short thing, giving doing nothing good for you, still uh, has a burden at a later time when it uh, metastasizes. So that it did, and uh, we were done. On the fourth day, we were home and ready for the uh, next three cycles of chemo. So we finished chemo by April 15, three cycles. So that was our first line, which we finished. Why it took so much of time to explain to you this first line? That it gave us so much of confidence that, you know, the CA, the antigen is showing you so low. The surgeon said, and you know, the best, apart from any other test, the best sight is from the surgeon who literally sees all that. So therefore, he also did his best and everything was moved and we were quite comfortable and comfortably placed. So this was the, and presently, of course, I'm only talking about the allopath. I will take it in phases because the second, uh, unfortunate, there was a relapse by August. August, September, uh, the relapse in the sense that the CA, you know, you had to do the CA every uh, two weeks. I would do it. I would do it in my, though it was advised in monthly, but I would do it on the quiet because uh, though it wasn't advised and it was advised against because it causes, but I did it. I, I mean, I, now I can be honest because, you know, I don't have anything to lose. So I did it and that helped me. Right. Why it helped me is I could catch the relapse early. Right. That's how it helped. And later also it helped me through and through these three years of doing things, some of it, a uh, little against the advice. I don't uh, advise to take that advice, but that's how it helped me to uh, catch the thing early. So around September, <laughs> I found the CA rising. And uh, by October, uh, it had risen past and rising rapid. So that's where we uh, discussed the matter with our Ronco. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were just cutting fine. As you know, and you, I mean, your listeners would know or your uh, patients would know or the gear givers would know that six months is the period mm -hmm. which is for platinum sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So if you're six months plus, you still have a chance, good chance, because you can, platinum drugs like carboplatinum can be used again. Okay. But if you're anything below six months, then you're no more platinum sensitive. You're platinum resistant. So therefore, they have to take that drug out. And if you take that platinum drug out, the drug as of now today in the world available is very, very, uh, you know, it may, may not, very, not very efficacious and things like that. 
So having said that, uh, we were just cutting fine six months, plus minus a week. So the on-coin students or in our province decided we go for uh, platinum. Uh, we branded her as platinum sensitive. And we uh, gave in again, uh, carboplated. But uh, we, uh, we extended it, the second one, by a little stronger dose. I mean, uh, that dose uh, is, is known as a red drug. It's the only, uh, is the most uh, toxic uh, chemotherapy. It's known itself as red drug, which is lipodox. So li lipodoxin is the drug. So combined with carboplatin, but uh, my onco felt in our prudence that let's introduce a, um, a element, which is a kind of a maintenance drug, which is known as uh, bevacizumab or avastin, which probably works as a VEGF. It's a little technical, but it works uh, in terms of blocking uh, blood flow to the cancerous uh, tumor. So she felt in her prudence that alongside we should start this off because we are just about cutting six months, not a very, very good sign. I, we had no choice at that point of time, but Neelam for sure said, don't worry, this will all be sorted out. This, why I repeatedly keep telling you this, that she won't just believe that things aren't good. She won't be. That's she probably is, the most difficult thing for um, when you're diagnosed with something like that. Yes. And she just won't believe. And uh, my daughter then would warn me like hell, you know, my doctor daughter, that why don't you tell her what is uh, facing us very soon? And then, of course, the doctor started telling me in person that now it's things are bad. And so then I uh, then the, the obvious question is how much, how, how long? So they won't give you a figure as you know, but sound you saying two, three months, maybe whatever. So I told my daughter, she says, yes, that's exactly what. And then by then she was doing too much of studies on it, even me, but then she had a better sense of grasp. I had a, I was, I was nowhere near it, but yes. I mean, uh, with due regards to Dr. Google, which most of the doctors are against, the information on the anatomy and things like that is enormous. Yeah. A caregiver must know the anatomy upside down to understand what the doctor is probably planning because the doctors don't have that time to give you. Yeah, Their load is too much. We mm -hmm. all know in Indian context, load for a doctor and it's most, um, many a time, thankless job. So to bug a doctor further, that what is this you're saying? It will block the tumor, this thing, that thing. It's not uh, really very conducive. But in the generation that we are in, or maybe most of my folks are in this generation, uh, information technology is such that you can reach the stars if you wish, which I did. And therefore, uh, but Neelam won't accept. As I told you, she thought I was the face. I was her heart. I was her mind. I was her brain and everything. And this man, if he's there, nothing enough. So very many times she used to boldly tell, of course, she got into closet. As usual, you know, when such people get into this, they stop uh, social interactions and all that and all that. 
they find it uh, not very comfortable when somebody says are cancer ho gaya aapko kaise ho gaya how you right she never said why me mm-hmm. she got bothered the people will say why you how will i answer that so a lot of my folks uh, in my group in the ncr group of delhi they said uh, why me was a major uh, discussion i said you know for my wife she is not why me she is bothered about those people asking why you that was uh, one of the things that i wanted to tell you that so anyway uh, she got into that second dose and with that i introduced uh, ayurveda with the second line because the first line obviously she lost all her hairs and uh, she went pale the gastric thing started she was already uh, diabetic about 2 years before before diagnosis so obviously that again started fluctuating her diabetes and uh, i then uh, parallelly started so the side effects of the chemotherapy on the first line was massive was massive and especially uh, she had a bad days which most of the cancer patients have of the chemotherapy they have all that's why i say each one each way there is no one uh, kind of a, you know reaction to any drug or results or you name it side effects they're all different for various by then the peripheral neuropathy had started off a lot of pain as such she was slightly prone to varicose veins so the 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 peripheral started off the peripheral pains naturopathy so that uh, in the nerves uh, i had to do with uh, i started naturopathy for that i went into ayurveda ayurveda unfortunately combined with siddha it's another little uh, uh, you know uh, study med- medical study of south india uh, there uh, the thing was that the drugs were very sweet in nature so they would spike your blood uh, kind of things with glucose now that was harmful for her so i walked out of it uh, and i started my own ayurveda which would mean that giloy which is very popular as a immunity builder uh tenaspora for your uh, listeners tenaspora and uh, incidentally i learned from my onco that uh, the giloy roots are one of the in- ingredients in making though the chemo drugs are not made in india but the research papers in the clinical trials say the roots of giloy is one of the ingredients of uh, paclitaxel drug Right. So you know, she also kept giving me this, and she was extremely different than normal oncologist or any doctor. She would say, "Sir, please take Google. You please use Google." And so she used to encourage a lot on information and knowledge. So our interactions became very, very uh, technical and nice, actually. And I could understand her very well, though she was very, very strong oncoa. No, 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 wishy washy. you can skip a date and a time and all that so having said that uh, i started with that kada geloy and whole lot of stuff uh, there are five six ingredients which i used to put uh, trying to uh, subside uh, the kadwaness of the kada so that she takes it voluntarily because vomiting is one of the major side effects as you know so nothing should trigger her esophagus or you know intestine to throw it up so whatever bit you have fed will go out yeah, so you have to yeah. be very careful for that that works very well i think and i started homeo 
Now in homeopathy, uh, I'll cover that later, but in homeopathy, there are some drugs which was very nicely uh, given. And believe you me, with the most toxic drug of this world, and that I told you, Dopsy, uh, whatever drug I told you, there was no side effects. Second line was without side effects. And it was the most encouraging thing, if you ask me, because uh, obviously I was uh, extremely, extremely concerned about the side effects. And that was taken care, I think. Now, if somebody says, are you convinced? I would say no. Because all this was running in parallel. Now, who knows what was doing, which one was doing. But then neither was I interested. I said, how does it concern me, which is, uh, you know, doing the trick? Exactly. I'm interested in the end result. And the end result was she went through the second line. At that point of time, uh, there was a new innovation. Not really new that time, but lesser expertise in India. High pay. Now, for uh, all this peritoneal uh, studying, because unfortunately ovarian cancer doesn't stay there. It travels and especially it travels in the peritoneal area. Right. Now, in for peritoneal region, that is the pelvic region, which houses this uh, peritoneum uh, membrane, they have a, a very nice uh, uh, kind of a thing. Whether it succeeded, didn't succeed, all that is still controversy. But HIPEC, wherein, in short, it is a you know heated uh, intraperitoneal uh, chemotherapy. So they heat uh, the chemo drugs to about 100, 304 degrees centigrade. And it's a surgery, which is about seven, eight hours. Primarily done uh, first cytoreduction that is again reduced, I mean, take out if there is any visible tumors. And then through a laparoscope, push this uh, heated drug inside. Let that heated thing kill all the kind of uh, cells. Obviously, uh, that kills a lot of normal cells also because after all they're all co-located obviously in that heat could damage a lot of uh, organs which are co-located kidney and all that and all that and then let it cool through ice and all for seven eight hours of recovery and then it comes back uh, and so seven eight hours is that so we, that was being considered at that point of time but again, as I said, my onco surgeon said that when we get pushed to the wall, that's the time we do this because these are all risky things. And to be honest with you, expertise. We didn't have uh, expertise in uh, that time, 2018-19, so much, so much. Though as a clinical trial, you could go in, but then it wasn't very safe. That was one. And second, unfortunate, one of my neighbors, known neighbor, who went into this, lost her kid. So that hypec was out. So we decided against it. Then, of course, uh, the relapse uh, again took place, but this time at four and a half months. Mm -hmm. Now, we were through with the side effects. Side effects were they concurred through homeopathy, Ayurveda, Kada, pranayam, a lot of pranayam, and a bit of, um, say, uh, lifestyle changes, you could say that, walks and things like that, right. a little bit of uh, personal time and things like that. So what are some dietary changes as well, some dietary oh. changes that she made? Yeah, dietary changes. Now, you know, uh, I had to push in a lot of protein uh, powders. So protein was a major dietary change 
I went in for. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of people are apprehensive about uh, sugar because the, G the glycemic index uh, uh, is high on various things and things like that. But I pushed in through, of course, all this with a discussion with my elder daughter and the nutritionist, both. They were both on board whenever I used to do any of these kinds. And uh, if you push in fiber before you push in any of this, because you see, uh, satiety is very important. Uh, for a cancer, uh, chemo, chemo patient, a patient who's taking chemotherapy, vomit and all that is extremely, extremely, um, you know, a threat, big threat. Now in that, if there's no satiety and you keep pushing things which are blend and you know, there is likely either she throws it up or after some time she says, I'm not taking hell with it. So therefore, I, what I would say is that say if somebody wants some mita curd or mita something, mita dude or something, and she's a diabetic, use fiber before. Now fiber has a big role. When you push fiber, it has a big role. It absorbs this uh, glucose and doesn't let it go to the blood. And it takes it along. And then, yes, I mean, fiber has its own uh, problems because if you have a fiber which cannot be digested for a, uh, for a person who's taking chemotherapy, then it, uh, you know, um, you don't, you stop passing stool, you get constipation. Right. So that again has to be balanced. What I mean is, it's a very, it's a, uh, each one, each way and uh, a daily event. You keep trying, trying and trying on a daily basis, on a moment basis, and you make a log. I mean, I had something like 10 diaries by then made up, which had every day's log. I gave this, this happened. So therefore I can reduce this and I can do this. Any case I left everything and uh, I left flying and everything. I was 24 seven with her. And I think uh, more than she, I deserve. I need to do that. So I did it. And my standard dialogue was that you did this for me for me for last 32 years. And for me, it's just a year. I still have 31 years to go to do the same. So it's a give and take in life. So as simple as that. And that uh, I still recall a smile, a huge smile that she would give and say, you and your dialogues. But anyway, Having said that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the side effects were taken care of, but unfortunately, the relapse again took place mm -hmm. in uh, three and a half, four months this time, or rather four and a half months. But the imprudence again, it was decided that uh, we would go ahead, ahead with platinum sensitive uh, kind of uh, drug, and which would mean carboplatin again, combined with something else. So then we looked around what should be uh, given since, as you know, the drugs in uh, our context where we are in cancer are pretty limited, yeah. pretty limited. Yeah. You may try um, um, uh, in other faculties, but if you talk about allopathy, the chemo mm -hmm. drug per se, mm -hmm. it's just about few, four or five. So you yeah. have to jiggle and play around with that with the general uh, kind of understanding that if there is a relapse taking place, then we will keep some weapon at the end to use and things like that. However, I would uh, stress on one aspect there, uh, which is a modern uh, 
uh, aspect of investigation, which is uh, next generation sequencing. Now, these days, genetic sequencing is available uh, for last uh, three, four years or five years. And uh, they, they have various kinds. You have shorter kinds and bigger kinds and you know whatever. I did both actually, primarily to know which is the gene which is responsible. As you know, ovarian and breast, the BRCA is a major gene which contributes to this. Yeah. yeah. Now, folks may, uh, somebody who is BRCA positive, she was BRCA negative, both BRCA one and two. Somebody who is BRCA positive may uh, probably get disheartened. Some of your listeners, some of your patients, that, oh, I have got BRCA in the sense that it will pass down to my uh, next generation. But they forget the silver line. The silver line, if you're BRCA positive, then that much drug is available to you, that specific drug is available to you to neutralize this gene. And that pathway, you know, all these genes have a pathway and similar pathway is available for the drug. Mm -hmm. If the pathway is known, that's the easiest uh, way of tackling a uh, genetic disorder. Right, right, right. They should not uh, mm -hmm. get uh, perturbed. I mean, they can develop on the subject that I'm saying. As I said, I'm very fogged. I have left them all behind. But even then, this all is coming to me uh, extempore because I've done extensive study in all this. Anyway, yeah. having said that, what I mean is, that you know, you should never get disheartened that I'm BRCA positive, and therefore, um, you'll forget, you'll you'll be surprised that if you're BRCA positive, it's so much easier to identify a drug, and uh, you know specifically attack that pathway, yeah. that genetic pathway. Right, right, right. So you're so much better off in the sense. Yeah. So that yeah. that part. second, you shouldn't forget that only ten or eleven percent of uh, people in this world is genetically, uh, you know, inclined to cancer. Right. It's only that 10, 11 percent is what in this world. So the other reasons are profound and which is relevant in Neelam's case. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced. But obviously, just if you're jiggling with 9 to 10 percent, you shouldn't get concerned that it would be a genetic disorder or hereditary or whatever, unlike uh, mm -hmm. diabetes or any of those stuff. It is right. a very minuscule percent. Right, right. I may go wrong in uh, statistics. I'm slightly fogged. Maybe one percent here. I won't go wrong much. That's for sure. And uh, uh, so then we started uh, our third with uh, carboplatin and gemcitabine. I went with the third, and I gave her uh, tissue, uh, uh, you know, bi biopsy done tissue, as well as uh, you know the histopath. I mean the uh, cytoreduction which was done, the operation surgery. I gave those tissues to the genetic uh, company. Uh, I forget the name, that company is based in your place only in Bangalore. And uh, for their lab investigation, it is known as next generation sequencing, NGS, in which they test 560 genes available in your, uh, that tumor, cut tumor, and somatically uh, say there are four, five or 10, 11 genes which are important like BRCA and things like that. And there are some uh, tissue biomarkers. So there are four biomarkers basically in which they uh, report, which is of course uh, one is that PDL1. Primarily, PDL1 is a uh, is a is a protein. All these are proteins. So they are on the cancer cells. So if if that is available, if it is positive, 
then again, it's easier to, uh, you know, probably say that, well, this is one protein which can be given as an anti I mean, antidote to this antigen. And uh, then they can define the drug accordingly. So this is a biomarker, which again, in her case, you'll be surprised, they were all the biomarkers were showing negative, except the tumor mutation burden was moderate. It was not low. Now, people must understand what tumor mutation burden is, TMB as they call it. It's a load or a burden. Some people say TML, some people say TMB, but that's very important. Very important why is it in short means, see primarily in India, they say low and high, but internationally it is not low and high. 10, up to 10 is about low, 10 to 20 is moderate and 20 and above is high. She was 18.7 in the TMB. So she was graded high, but then that was the only thing which was graded high for her. Her uh, micro satellite status was stable. So these have some technical um, explanations, which I'm mm -hmm. sure your listener would uh, build it up or even I'm available, they can check it up on my research papers. I can share with them. There is no problem with that, but it is, uh, you know, this talk is restricted to the basics. So having said that, tumor mutation burden is very important to understand. See, primarily this burden says, primarily it talks about the immunity. Say what happens is when your uh, tumor mutation load is high, that means that damn tumor keeps mutating faster. And when it, in, in, I'm, I'm just giving you the kind of a basic understanding, easy to understand. If the tumor is mutating faster, you know your soldier cells, that is T1, T cells, call it, yes, yeah. in the immunity T cells. Now for them to catch, identify a fast mutating uh, kind of, something like pandemic, which we are going through COVID, something like this, the virus keeps uh, mutating, those people, you know, whatever you inject, he's used to knowing that, okay, um, Hemant is my, uh, you know, enemy. But suddenly Hemant becomes Hemant one. They will not be able to identify. And if they can't identify, they will take as a friend, not as a foe. And they'll not fight it up. Yeah. So in a, in a, in a, in a genetic language, it is said that those, uh, uh, those uh, cancer cells, they fool the soldiers, your, your immunity soldiers. They fool them. Yeah. yeah. So that is it. So that was only high. Rest everything and BRCA was negative. So obviously the genetic scientist said that, sir, you are nothing to worry. It is not aggressive at all. Now, where I'm coming in is whether that helped me, I don't know. Whether it didn't help me, I may not say so. So having said that, and, and they also give you the drug. After having studied your genes, they give you a drug proposed. But unfortunately, in her case, the drugs which were available or which was proposed was not relevant. It was under phase two trials. You know, trials have various phases. Right, right. It was only under phase two, mm -hmm. the clinical trial. So obviously, that will not be accepted by mm -hmm. uh, Indian government. And that medicine will not be still used except yeah. for clinical trials. Yeah. yeah. Use that uh, thing. Uh, it was, that was basically to uh, increase your immunity. And so that, so that was, it was more, more of a immunotherapy, actually. So that was uh, where we did at that point of time. And then we went in, uh, as I told you, in four months, there was a relapse. So we went in for carboplatin and gemcitabine this time. Gemcitabine was the, uh, was the drug. And uh, again, side effects were minimal. It seemed, except for our first line, 
after we introduced uh, all these alternates, which would mean pranayam, dietary changes, uh, would mean homeopathy, a big time, Ayurveda, uh, all these homemade Ayurveda, home remedies. Uh, it looked, something has worked. But what has worked? Don't ask me. But something worked. There was no side effects. Second line, third line, which finished, third line finished in February of 2021. And now, of course, uh, in between, in September 20, after the third line, or rather mid of third line, she had an intestinal blockage. Now, that uh, is an indication that things are happening in the intestine now. <laughs> and as you know, it travels. I mean, it doesn't stop. By then, they had uh, extended it with the second line. They had extended it to phase four. So stage four was uh, spoken about from stage 3C. It was up grade to stage four by second line. And they have reasons to that. It's laid down in their protocol that this and after this, this. So it was stage four. And uh, that blockage took place. But you'll be surprised in five days that blockage got cleared of its own, doing nothing. So again, Neelam won over the arguments with me that he says, this is all bakwas. Nothing will happen. So we came back home. Same hospital. We were there. Unfortunately, thick into pandemic, uh, September 2020, and thick into pandemic. So huge problems. But you'll be surprised for with all that. Not once she was um, COVID positive, or even me. Whereas we have dined with COVID patients because there was no space in these hospitals. So we mm -hmm. were staying together. We're doing everything with them. And you know how immune, immunity or immune compromised is a chemotherapy. Yeah, uh, yeah. cancer patient, yeah. Patient, how, because of chemotherapy, how immunocompromised they are. Mm -hmm. And they were sharing almost the same kind of vicinity, maybe not even half a feet, because there was no place for beds in these hospitals. So you can imagine with all that, and me uh, sitting there all the night by her bedside with the COVID patients, nothing. So... All the same. These are some positive uh, vibes that I had. And therefore, she said, Deho, Chardin and I came back home. And the reason for coming back, as far as the doctor was concerned or the onco was concerned, is not that she was fit. It was because there was no bed. And we are continuing at a bad uh, COVID environment. So they said, you better go home. I mean, she came home within uh, five hours. The stool passed, blockade cleared. She started normal. So those things did happen my way. It was not always low. There were many highs, many highs through that. And the biggest high was that I was given three, four months. I have already logged about two years plus at that point of time, two years, three months. So I was almost uh, quite happy that probably Neelam is right. Nothing is really happening. So by about February uh, of 2021, again, she got into... Uh, uh, relapse again. Now this time through the relapse, the oncologist got changed and again a very fine oncologist, but he said that uh, we would try some oral drug because uh, most of our other drugs are almost uh, over. We have just left one. Let, let we keep that as a last moment or whatever. And he was open to me. Uh, unfortunately, the oncologist's uh, own wife had passed away with cancer. So he was not only very, very, uh, you know, good at uh, his job, but he had practical experience. 
and he exactly knew what I was going through because he was a caregiver for me, as an oncologist, as a specialist. Yeah. So therefore, he was uh, we we gelled very good, and uh, he introduced a drug, Olaparib. Olaparib is a PARP inhibitor. Uh, basically, again, it uh, blocks the protein which um, this cancer cell feeds on. A little different from bevacizumab, Avastin that I told you, that has a different pathway, which um, blocks the blood flow. And this fellow blocks the protein or denies the protein to the cancer cells, Olaparib. Pretty much uh, popular, but only for BRCA positive. Then this is where I was telling you there's a silver lining if you're positive. Yeah, yeah. Initially, or for that matter, till late, as late as 2020, December, the world had accepted Olaparib and the clinical trials only for BRCA positive. It's only uh, in uh, 2020 or whatever, mid or whatever, was the <coughs> trials carried out and it was accepted for BRCA negative also. So when I reached at that stage in February 2021, Olaparib was accepted internationally as a BRCA, for, uh, relevant for BRCA negative also. Otherwise, the oncologists were tied. They couldn't uh, even uh, prescribe it. It's a, it's a restricted drug. So they couldn't even prescribe because they are tight on that. They don't have a license to practice that. So it was opened up for maybe by Providence. And uh, February, we gave that for first one and a half. Actually, now, Olaparib has a serious side effect issue, serious side effect issue, especially for the first month. And I was briefed for that. And I was ready for it. But anyway, that time, none of these alternates could work. By then, she had already lost half of her health. So alternates were not really working, and Olaparib took its toll. March, April, Olaparib took its toll. Let me also tell you between this, good for your viewers and listeners, we did a lot of travel. My daughter said that, I mean, as I told you, we were in the same page, me and my daughters. So said, Papa, anywhere that she wanted to go, wherever, she must go as a family. So, and fortunately, she was holding a red card from WHO. So she could travel during COVID without uh, restrictions. So she would travel here, come to India, and all the family, whenever we got a window where uh, things were okay, we visited all the places that she ever desired over those uh, two years. And she was, but that's different that she may not have enjoyed it so much. But by and large, we spent a lot of traveling time. I just wanted to put it in context that, you know, that made a lot of difference because, you know, she could travel. She was um, nice, but maybe she dropped down by the afternoon, evening and energy levels were so low that, and even my uncle said that that is a very good uh, therapeutic uh, kind of a way. In any case, uh, I could see that things are getting bad in her health. So, Having said that, Olaparib took its toll, huge side effects, and uh, we tried our best. But somehow, in April, as I said, uh, 2021, she uh, fell off uh, from Olaparib. We took a drug holiday because um, she was not very happy and she was not wanting to cope up. So we took a drug holiday around April and for a month. But by then, uh, CA started rising like hell by about May or so. So in the prudence, doctor said that now we'll use that last weapon. So in June or so, 2021, we tried uh, using, um, you know, uh, a drug which was slightly uh, mod uh, which was modified 
uh, it was basically something uh, which uh, was modified. Fourth line uh, was modified, uh, and it said it is known as Paclitaxel, but a modified version which is known as Nab Paclitaxel. And obviously, they could not give any platinum drug because uh, platinum drug uh, she had not finished uh, six months. Uh, so it was she. She was no more platinum sensitive. So it made no sense. It would only ruin her and do no good. So they only gave a single agent first time, Nab Paclitaxel. She started with that. And alongside, he briefed me about uh, that uh, pipe pack. Pipe pack. It's again, as I said, as late as December 2020, the world saw this, uh, uh, this uh, technology, yeah. which is pressurized interperitoneal aerosol chemotherapy. Only in December 2020, first time it was administered in US, uh, in one of the Mayo clinics in downtown of US. And so it was just a year that I'm talking about. So I immediately got into that research. Sometime that time, I also got to a research wherein uh, it's a technology where you use pulse electromagnetic radiation. Uh, it's a subject huge, so I will not like to stress on that. Viewers or listeners or interested people can be in touch, but it basically uses pulse technology. You know, all our cells work through electrical impulse. The cancer cells being bigger, they work through some bigger or smaller uh, amount of charge. So the basic idea was to give those uh, that destined amount to the natural cells and deny the destined amount to the cancerous cells through pulse technology through radiation. So that is a technology which again in April, May I used. I don't know if that served any purpose. A month and a half I used that uh, equipment important from, imported from US. I was, the, the, the things are all convincing. The technology is very convincing. But whether that uh, frequencies are rightly tuned, not tuned into the equipment, whether it's working in the body or was it too late for her all that is a question mark. Anyway, I used it. Uh, to first month, I found things were working. But immediately around uh, June, she started developing her ascites. Now, most of the people would know who's gone through this path that if you have a bout of ascites developing, which is a peritoneal fluid, is a toxic fluid, that itself is going to take its toll. So anyway, that portion happened. First, it uh, got, I mean, the things had to be taken off. So she was already on, uh, she started with her last fourth line. As I said, the lab Paclitaxel, ascites started building up. We had taken off, drained that ascites. Initially, it was coming back in 20 days. Then it came back in 10 days. And then it never went off. So by about uh, uh, August 18th, um, we got her admitted. Um, same pain as blockade pain as uh, a year back, 2020. Absolutely one year approximately. And uh, with that admission, uh, she went through all that and all that. The last part that was around 26th, 7th, the pain was excruciating. So we started her on morphine. Okay. Um, the principle being no pain. That was the principle. 
but God was kind, despite uh, weeks of morphine, the organs were holding in the investigations, all organs, uh, KFT, LFT, everything was holding, parameters, creatinine level, uh, liver enzymes, everything was holding, no pleural effusion, I mean, uh, there was nothing in the lungs, they travel very fast, nothing in the lungs, and um, uh, nothing in the heart, everything was excellent. So having said that, uh, on 27, 28th, when we started Morphin, uh, uh, PIPAC was the one which was spoken about. And I got a PIPAC surgeon. So he was ready to be on board. So we discussed with my onco. Onco said, yeah, I mean, that is the last attempt. And as I told you, was, Neelam was diehard. She said, anything on this earth, I want to live. I said, they will cut open your whole body again. I, she said, let it be, but I want to live. So, and I can assure you that till the time you're there or whatever, nothing is going to happen. So she, instead of me giving her care, she was giving care to me. I mean, it was a, I, I, I mean, that's the truth actually. But then maybe I had uh, got exposed to the technology. So I knew exactly. So we were ready for pipe pack on 1st of September, but uh, you know, pre-PIPAC and the CT scan spoke terrible about the intestine condition, the bloating, uh, which took which wasn't there when we had decided about PIPAC just three, four days back. Uh, in this three, four days, uh, the bloating was so much that the surgeon said, you know, the basic thing is that they put in troca. There's a pair of troca, which they put through lapro. It's a tube. And in that tube, they sink in there, all their camera, camera, everything inside your tummy. And then through another uh, path, they push in this uh, aerosol uh, liquid through a, um, you know, uh, they make it a mist, uh, a mist inside. So what it does is, and that, that has the drug in it. So it doesn't harm any of your other things. It only uh, takes, uh, gets onto the cancer tumors in the peritoneal region. And uh, then it's taken care of. That is in short uh, it is, it is different from HIPEC where there was heated thing. This mm -hmm. is no heat here. Right. It is a aerosol, aerosol uh, mist, which takes care through a laparoscopy. So there's no ma major surgery. Either. But unfortunately, he said that if I, with this bloating, if I push the troca in, it may burst. So then if it bursts, there is a problem. So again, PIPAC got defeated. On third or fourth, with no pipe pack, with nothing, pain going haywire, absolutely. Morphins, almost uh, earlier it was four hours, three hours, two hours, one hour, every half an hour. So heavy dose and all. So then, uh, but still she was in sense. Then I spoke to him. He said, there is a thing which we can do a surgical intervention, which uh, basically, uh, you know, in the colonoscope, they, what they do is, they uh, try and uh, they get into your cologne, uh, outer level of your cologne, and see if there is a space. If there's space, that bad cologne part, they cut it and out and they shorten it and put a stoma bag so that when your uh, waste product comes, instead of going uh, through your rectum and all the normal process, it comes out into the bag, uh, which is put outside. So the, that thing. So therefore, that would take care of you know, the intestinal, the blockade and all that and all that. And so he says, there is a thing, but I don't know if she's fit and uh, to take the anesthesia. 
So on first second, this happened. Then his test came, put her to pre-operative uh, checks. And she says she just can't. There is just 10% chance of a survival. And the surgeon said that in any case, this will not give you a span. It will only give a little bit of quality of life. That's all. Wherein, you know, the pain would be slightly uh, not there because the blockage would be taken care of with the excreta being thrown off. So I, my daughter was already there. So she says, uh, so I, of course, was too mind. So I went and explained this to Neelam. She says, so where is the doubt? Why doesn't it happen? Why doesn't it do it? So I said, yeah, don't you see 10% chance the anesthetist says, and there is no benefit. It is only, I mean, he, the surgeon is saying that quality of life will improve. That also, if I finally succeed, I may not even succeed knowing, seeing the CT scan. Right. So she said, uh, what is the percentage he's saying? So I asked the surgeon, what is the percentage you're saying? He's not the same surgeon, not my earlier surgeon. He says five to six percent of success. So I told her, and in front of the surgeon, he says, she says, even if there's one percent, it's better than taking this pain and lying down on this bed at that point of time. So when I went back to the surgeon and he said that, yeah, she's so adamant. Why does she want to live? I mean, which is not even sure that she will survive my uh, OT table. Why I say you this all is that look at her just to live. You know, she said everything. You cut me down, but I want to live. So then I, uh, surgeon said, okay, that was fourth. Let me uh, give it a day. Sixth will do the research. Let me discuss with my other friends because uh, most of the people are against me doing this. So I went and told her that he's asking for two days. He says, what? And that time she could speak because she was not on ventilator and also she called for him. They were pretty uh, friendly. So she called for him and said, what are, why are you fooling him? Why can't you do it today? Why two days? You mean to say I cry with pain for two days and finally do it. So when you can do it day after, why can't you do it today? And who is telling you I'm signing? He's, what is your problem? The surgeon got so moved that in half an hour, he called for an emergency surgeon in the same hospital. But anyway, the chapter got turned. He took, the, he took her in. She waved at us and said something. I said, look at this lady. Even now she feels that she'll come back. Unfortunate. It was supposed to be destined for three hours. It just lasted 40 minutes. When he opened up, it was all glutted. There was, he said, there is not a place where I could cut the intestine. It was all studded with things. So I couldn't even cut. So I had to just uh, stitch it back and that's it. But unfortunately, she cannot now recover. She has to be on ventilator. Her all organs have failed. Kind of. So then she went into the ICU, spent seven, eight days. Believe you me, she, from her ventilator, she moved to trachos, trachostomy, everything. She lost her voice, yes, but everything was going very nice. We started a liquid diet on 11th of September. Why I say this repeatedly is there is still enough chance. Even now there is enough chance, but, you know, unfortunate few things. And ICU in um, pandemic time, you cannot visit all yeah. that visiting hours restriction. 11th uh, August, uh, September. She um, unfortunately was cleared for uh, liquid diet through her tube. We had a jejunum tube till the jejunum we had put in a tube for feeding. So in that, unfortunately, um, I think the extra fluid was put in a little more than what she could take it. She threw up with a vomit. She got into aspirational pneumonia. 
on 12th of September. And that was the last. Because the moment you get into aspirational pneumonia, your lungs are gone. So now, whatever chance of her getting out of uh, uh, ventilator was sealed. On 17th, 18th, she, um, I mean, we used to communicate on writing, you know, whatever time, half an hour we got in a day to visit her. She would communicate, she says, home. So on 17th, 18th, I erected the ICU at home, September. That was excellent uh, decision. I see it in retrospect. And even that time I saw it. When she came home, she in one day, of course, I had to, you know, on the economic uh, issues are very high. When you erect an ICU at home, I did that. Moment she came to a room where she used to sleep, she started smiling. Everything was excellent for those five, six days. But as destiny could take it, you know, she went into sepsis, organs failed, and 23rd September, she said goodbye. The journey, per se, uh, was fulfilling because against five, six months, we took it right till three years. And we lived life like anything during those three years. So we had high lows, no cribs whatsoever. But so that was the journey uh, of medicine. Uh, so, so finally, I'd uh, like to just ask you that um, uh, if uh, you had to give a message to other cancer caregivers, so what would that message be? Never lose your hope. Uh, avoid saying sub and uh, uh, feel attached. It's very simple for me as a caregiver to speak all that, but very difficult for the person who is going through it. Understand that. Anything that you say uh, as a caregiver <clears throat> is going to uh, multiply in its effect. So be very cautious what you speak in front of her, in front of the society, in front of the family members. And go by her choices. Go by her, his choices, whatever, depending upon whom you are uh, giving care of. Their choices becomes uh, most important. For example, a lot of uh, people did tell me that, <clears throat> why don't you share this with your friends? It'll lighten her. But she said nothing to it. I don't want this to be shared. Matter finishes. Give that, respect that, respect that. She said, I'll not join this uh, cancer NCR group of yours. You be my face, you join and you come back because I can't take this, uh, you know, people saying, oh, kal to thi aaj nahi hai, all that, all that. Respect, I respect. A lot of people went anti. What I mean is that uh, don't go by what people say. Go by, by what you and your partner or whosoever you're giving care of, you feel. And with that, uh, don't start analyzing too much. Let her wish or his wish be your wish. And lastly, of course, each person, each cancer patient, each cancer, because it is at DNA levels and all of us are different by DNA, none of our fingerprints can ever match. Yeah. If that be true, how do you expect that there is a single stick, single drug, single this thing, to take care. So don't go by anybody else's, um, uh, you know, life stories or tales or you know, listen to them. 
but uh, process it with a major factor that each one each way. Right. That's all. So um, thank you very much, sir, for uh, such a detailed explanation of your journey. I'm sure uh, the people are going to really benefit from it because uh, the, 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 the detail in which you went, uh, it actually shows that how much you researched uh, with oh, yeah. while man was uh, going through this journey. I did. And, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And of course, uh, <clears throat> you know, what happens is it is all fog. It is terribly fog because uh, I wanted to leave it behind. And truly so, I wanted to leave it by. But then, you know, as I told you, uh, it is simpler said, but when I uh, learned your founder's uh, journey, uh, it was so uh, inspiring and it moved me. And despite my reluctance, despite my fogging, last night I spent some bit with my notes. And when I opened up that uh, cupboard of mine, which I created over three years, uh, I mean, it was all spilling over because I didn't know where to start from since it's a huge cupboard that I uh, occupied with my research papers. And uh, I didn't leave anything uh, unturned to the extent that till about last day, uh, we were trying to enter the Guinness book, me and my wife. I was telling, and Neelam used to tell me that soon, you know, our case will be in Guinness book that with all this, these guys are already going strong and nice. So I, I had that faith. More than me, she had that faith. More than me, she had the faith. That, uh, so have faith, have trust. Uh, easy to uh, keep uh, giving, uh, you know, big words and all that. I know it is easy, especially relevant to third and fourth stage and especially so related to uh, pelvic oriented or gynecological oriented cancers, which metastasizes very fast, which gives you very less uh, kind of notice. But if, you are, if your listeners had taken my first portion I went detailed. I mean, I have taken almost your two hours. The reason is this, that don't get there a myth that uh, there are no indications, there is nothing, ovarian cancer just brings a surprise. Uh, it is not so, it is not so. You have to search your soul and you will find that there are ways and there has been enough symptoms giving you. So probably uh, for people who are into it, just take your ultrasound, even if you are a survivor, maintain your ultrasound is much simpler these days. And they definitely give you the initial input. So don't sit tight uh, being a survivor. Do your scan, do your CHX, if you are a part of this ovarian cancer. And uh, that's it. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm so, so um, happy that you gave me a chance to explain. Though things have come back to me, and I intend to uh, take it forward, but uh, I have exceeded my time limits with you oh, all. That's, that's no, not, 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 not at all the problem, sir. So I'm sorry but, for that. No. But uh, you know, it is so very difficult to compress it in a fashion yeah. to accommodate that one hour of yours. It is extremely difficult, extremely. Yeah. And even after this, I feel I've not even said anything. I'm not done justice. Right. You know, right. that feeling is still in me. But having said that, thank you very much, Arohi. God thank bless you very your much, founder. sir. God bless your organization. And go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, sir. And uh, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank and you. Uh, all the very best for everything uh, that you plan to do 
after this, thank you very much for being a part of this. Namaskar. Thank you. Jai Hind. Jai Hind, sir.